Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing conversations to come. New episodes of With Wit are available every Tuesday on all platforms. Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, and I am divorced, not dead. I'm a former Bravo TV star and now former wife. Fresh off the back of my divorce, I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said between each other, society, the sheets, and everything in the middle. And lucky me, you'll be joining me for the journey. So buckle up. Welcome back to Divorce Not Dead. And today I have a really, really exciting guest. I'm very excited to have you on, Demona. So we have Demona Hoffman, who is the host of Dates and Mates, LA Times Love Expert, Washington Post writer, guest coach on the Drew Barrymore Show. Joining us all the way from LA. So I just got up really early to do this and you're looking amazing. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. I put out questions today. Everyone got so excited. Explain exactly what you do do. I help people along their entire journey to find and keep love. So I actually started out as a dating profile writer and I would make these profiles that would really magnetize in the right kind of matches. But then I found that people were going on dates and doing the same thing that was keeping them single. So I ended up getting certified as a life coach and then specifically as a dating coach to be able to shepherd people through the entire process. I wanted to have a dating agency. I never understand why people find it so hard to connect with other people. Well, I mean, you're gorgeous and successful and it's, it's, it's easier when you're not in the situation to say, this is so much easier. I mean, I'm married as well. And I haven't had to do the dating trenches. So I feel the pain of your, of your listeners and your followers that are in that place. But I think you're right. I think that once you approach it with the right strategy, it's amazing how easy it can become. Because I feel I'm, you know, correct me as you're wrong, because you're the expert. You see, I feel a lot of this is like self-fulfilling prophecy. So, you know, when people say, well, my dating life is awful and there's no good men out there and I, I can't meet anyone and I, you know, life is shit, you know, well, then you're kind of putting it out into the universe and like 
honestly, that's what happens. And all the men are shit. You know, why doesn't a man come pick me up anymore? Why don't they, you know, you expect, they expect so much. They sort of, you know, you go, I go over to a girlfriend's house and they sort of get one of those like rolls of reams of paper and drop down the list of how they want the guy to be. And you're like, holy shit, you know, uh, if this is the way you're starting, no wonder you're single. Yeah. Well, I do begin all of my programs with a mindset piece, which is exactly what you're talking about. Really getting clear on what you're looking for and then also what you have to offer. But that list, girl, that list will that will keep all of the men away because we we start to fixate on the things that we don't want instead of what we do. And as the list has gotten longer and longer, it's become harder and harder to be satisfied with what's in front of you. I actually met my husband online in 2003. We've been married 13 years. We've been together 17. So that was a very different time in online dating. But what I've seen change since that time is that it, it has made, well, first of all, the stigma around it has gone away. We didn't even tell people that's how we met. But it, it has enabled people to make better matches because now your dating pool is expanded from yeah, but people just lie. your... They lie. It's always the best picture of themselves. Like nobody looks like, and we all got a, we've got, all got an angle. And, you know, and they lie all the time. So but they lied in the bars. They've always lied. People have always tried to at least you can themselves. see the real person in front of you. A lot of times it's not even the real picture. True. But this is why I have a process around it. So there's, there's mindset, which you talked about. Then there's sourcing. Where are you finding the dates? And then there's screening. How are you determining if someone is who they say they are, that they're the, even the right person for you today before you get too far down the road? I, I like you was married 18 years. So, I mean, I, I was married 18 years. I have three kids and and when I was at the end of my marriage in my head, I was not going to date for quite a while. I mean, I wanted to date. I actually really wanted to date lots of people. You know, no one's going to hold me down now. I'm going to actually go out and see what's out there. And I did the complete opposite. And that's what I'm saying. Cause, and I was actually open. I mean, I wasn't open to it at the beginning because I have literally got a man that is completely different to what I would have put on my list. You know, he is totally age inappropriate. And he lied when I met him. So, you know, cause he said I would never have stayed. See, no, See, they lie. <laughs> he lied. But you know, I was open. Like if I had stuck to my list, I would not be here. And it's almost been what over a year now. And he's amazing with my children. He's amazing. You know, he's totally been so much more than I probably would have given him credit for. And that's the point I think, because I did go into it with open heart because I was like, well, it's working right now. And if it doesn't work six months down the line, who cares, right? I'll just, you date somebody else, don't you? Yeah, that mindset, that will get you into the experience. But I find that you really have to look at what are the, the person's values and their goals for the future. And if those two things are aligned, it doesn't matter if he's age inappropriate. It doesn't matter if he enjoys doing the same activities that you do, there's so much focus on the wrong things when ultimately it's really about who is this person 
do are we compatible as people? And then can we see ourselves on the same path for the future? We definitely have the same end goals, even if mine's a few years earlier than his. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have the same end game. So we we definitely talk the same way. And actually he's an old soul. So you're right. But I but I think my key words was like, I'm so glad now that I didn't stick to my guns and go, you know what? No, you know, I want to date around. I want to be single. I want to be, you know, I want all that time to myself. That's a tricky element of dating right now because people tell me with dating apps, there there's so much more opportunity now. Like even a decade or two ago, a divorced woman in her 40s, your dating prospects may have been limited. People come to me all the time with this idea of I'm undateable because there's no, there are no good guys in my city. And I hear it across the world. There's no good guys in New York. There's no good guys in LA. There's no good guys in London. It's like, if there are no good guys, how do people keep ending up in relationships? So I I think a lot of it has to do with the mindset and the clarity that you go in with. What do you want to feel? What do you want for your life? It's not about the list. But if you have that sort of clarity, like you went in, like, I'm not going to just be with someone to be with someone. And people will tell me this paradox of choice. We have so many options. It makes people not want to settle down. But you're living proof that when you meet somebody that lights you up in that way and makes you feel what you want to feel, you commit. You stop right there. Yeah. And that's what I thought. I was like, okay, I'm not in my dream scenario. I'm not ready. But if I'm not ready now you know, he's not going to be on the shelf much longer, right? It's now or never. Like I can't, I can't say no and knock him back. And then, you know, six months down the line, expect him to be waiting. So it's not going to happen. So like you just sometimes in life, you have to take that jump. It may not be exactly how you saw it happening. And again, you know, life doesn't, as I think we all know in business, in relationships in career, whatever, nothing is a straight trajectory. Nothing goes the way you think it's going to be. In fact, it always ends up, you know, being completely different to how you saw it. I see a difference between the way it feels and the way you think it's supposed to look. Yes. And I've had so many clients that we're in that place that you were in and we're like, well, I'm not ready or maybe on paper, it doesn't make sense. And then they did throw somebody back because they're in their heads and they're thinking through the list and they're planning ahead too far ahead. Do you, you find know? that so many of us are led by society? So society tells me that once I get divorced and I've got kids or I've announced my divorce, you know, I should, because I was married for 18 years, have a grieving process where you cannot date it's like when, if someone's husband passes away, when is the right time to start dating again? Or, you know, for me, I'm meant to be grieving at the end of my old marriage, but genuinely women that have left a marriage or, you know, after 18 years have probably left in their head three or four years before. So, you know, there's all these constrictions that you're given you know, take your time, don't introduce them to the children, you know, which means you end up ending, uh, you know, dating and having three lives, your home life, your kids, your boyfriend, you're you're still managing the ex-husband. And it's just, it's, it's an impossible balance. I think what you've done is really lived in the moment, which I think a lot of times people have trouble doing that. We're so busy projecting ahead or thinking about the past that we're not seeing what's right in front of us. And that does make dating really, really tricky sometimes. But 
we can't predict the future. You also can't predict when you are going to be ready. So there are all of these unwritten rules, like you said. It also doesn't mean we don't care. We didn't care because I think that's a misconstruct. You know, when you start dating after a marriage of 18 years or whatever, and people go, oh my God, she must never have loved him. You know, that's not true. Right. Of course it's not true. And we all process our feelings in different ways, but there are so many societal pressures and factors that are sending us all kinds of messages about who should make the first move? What, what does chivalry mean? This, this sends so many of my clients off in the wrong direction. I just reported on the study on, on the Dates and Mates podcast about who makes the first move. And they looked at speed dating and found men overall, like if they're swiping on a dating app, they're not quite as discerning. They'll swipe right and say yes to a lot more women than men. Than women than, will to men than women would say to men. Exactly. But when they looked at speed dating situations where, you know, speed dating, you get like five minutes to meet each person and then you move along. When women stayed seated, that created the same effect as dating apps. Women were much more discerning. They saw fewer matches among the men that came and sat at their table. When they flipped it and made women get up and move from table to table, they were less discerning. And what that says is that we are in this societal construct of the woman must wait for opportunities to come in, wait for the suitors to come and approach them. But if the roles in that situation are flipped, then the situation changes and the, out, the outcome changes in that, in that instance. Yeah. I mean, and now I think it's, it's fine both ways. I think women take the horns these days and the reins and take over and do go and ask men out, but you're right. It's meant to be like, I remember my grandmother saying, well, I hope he's picking you up tonight. And I'm like, grandma, if I waited for a man to come pick me up and take me to dinner every night, I would never leave my flat. And this was like, right. (laughs) Right. And that was her generation. That's what those, that set of behaviors indicated interest. It, it indicated that he was a gentleman. And I feel like it's so cool right now. The rules are all being re- rewritten. And yes, more women take the reins now than they used to. It's still a vast minority of women that will do that. And from the beginning, I started coaching on dating profiles 15 years ago. And I've always said to women, you need to take control of your dating destiny. I'd rather you be the picker. I'd rather you do the choosing than you getting chose. So I would encourage them to send outgoing messages, be the first to message way before Bumble was even a thing. And that was, that's the conceit of Bumble. The woman makes the first move. And still, I still today, I get so much resistance from women, even though I have all the stats, I work with many of the dating apps and they say the women that initiate make more matches. I agree. And I think, you know, like, I mean, with my boyfriend and I, like, I had no problem texting him. I didn't wait. Like, and, you know, he takes me straight back and we started talking. You know, I don't believe in that. People are like, oh my God, you know, like you're meant to wait. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't text him until he's texted you. I'm like, why? Because as far as I'm concerned, he wasn't my boyfriend. We were friends. so I couldn't care less. So I talked to him like a friend. When you take the pressure off, you know, I took the move. Uh, It turned into something I didn't look at it straight away as a relationship. I took it as a friendship. And I think when you, you know, if you take the the pressure out straight away and the play, and if I look at it back, actually, even with my ex-husband, we never played these silly games. You know, when I wanted to speak to him, sorry, there's my dogs. When I wanted to speak to him, I spoke to him. And I don't believe, 
Yeah, the rules. I don't believe that they are that, that they exist anymore. I think with my ex-husband, I think we had sex straight away. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I have different feelings on on sex. Of course, you can do you can do whatever. You're modern woman, you can do whatever. I found statistically throughout the years I've run my program and all of the research that I've done, I try to encourage my clients just to wait, just to wait to be intimate kind of for the reason that, that you, you mentioned it was so easy with your boyfriend in the beginning, because you were just friends, you were just getting to know each other. You weren't trying to push it in a particular direction. And then I feel like things can unfold on a more, on a deeper level, on a more organic level. Now I'm not going to sit here and say like, Oh, you'll ruin your chances if you have sex on the first date. But the longer that you take the time to get to know somebody without introducing sex. Cause you can never get that magical tension. Like what's going to happen energy back once you do it. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think that that's, you know, the, the, the way I started dating my ex-husband to the way it started dating my boyfriend now is so different. Um, mm-hmm. and you're right. When I started dating Sergio, he really, really made the effort, like nothing happened and had happened and he flew all over the world for me and, you know, really made the effort to, to be wherever I was, which was just so sweet. I never had anyone sort of want to like get in a car and drive anywhere for me, frankly. So it was just so different. I don't believe in the rules, but then other people swear by them, absolutely swear by them. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it, I just don't know what the right answer is. So, you know, I get to ask this again and again and again, actually, how you become capable to let someone um, in and love you again when you've had your heart broken. That's a really tough question because like you said earlier, if you played by quote the rules, you probably wouldn't be in this relationship right now. Like, oh, I need a certain amount of time to be able to heal. I think the process is, is individual. You have to figure out when you're ready yourself and how to do that yourself. Obviously, I'm a big fan of self-study and therapy. I have a lot of my clients are in therapy at the same time that they're doing dating coaching with me because I think we have to bring all of those feelings out to the surface because if you don't deal with them, you will end up repeating the same situations again. They may look different, but they'll come up again. But I believe that you can learn in motion. I don't think you need to stop and like, now I'm going to do my self-work and then I'm going to be ready for dating. There's no ready period, but it is an important part of the process of going through and taking stock of, I think every relationship happens for a reason and there's learning in each relationship. So the more that you can dive in and figure out why that relationship happened and what you can take away from it, I think the sooner you'll be ready to be open again. I personally feel very similarly, which is like just to take the best bits, you know, obviously it's awful that's happened and somebody's hurt you and, you know, or you've lost the love of your life or someone's left you, whatever it is. But you have to be able to say that person came for a reason. He was a blessing for these certain parts. And you close that chapter and then you say, look what I'm going to take and what I, I know that I want for the next one, or I know that I don't want for the next one. And I think, you know, that this is another, the part of dating. I think like dating in a way, we always focus on the end game, that forever is the end game. What is your view? Because I have a view that there is really no happily ever after forever. 
And if we took the, if we took the forever out of it, less people would feel so hurt, you know? And if we knew that we had beautiful relationships and beautiful dating, which is dating, you know, in a way, and you had beautiful stories with people throughout your life, maybe we wouldn't have, how do you ever love again? How do you ever get past this? And we would, you know, you wouldn't feel so desperate and destroyed each time. What you're saying reminds me of the question of soulmates. People always ask me, how do you find your soulmate? And should I believe in soulmates? And I, I did a little survey on my Instagram and I, I was doing a project on soulmates and I was like, how many of you believe in soulmates? 75% said yes. And that's in line with, with surveys that have been done, done of the American public. And that shocked me, honestly. I was like, 75% of people believe in soulmates, believe that there's one person that's out there somewhere in the wild that's destined to, to be your match forever and all eternity. That seems to me like a ton of pressure to put on each of your interactions. And then what it does, it makes you unable to be satisfied in the moment with the person that you're with because you're always thinking, they're great, but are they my soulmate? Is this it? And, and like, I think it always feel like I talked to my husband about this on my podcast. I feel like we see so many rom-coms where it happens magically and the story plays out in a certain way. When it does happen, we're like, wait, is this it? Is this how it's supposed to be? And it goes back to what you're saying, like being in the moment, if you are happy right now, you can't really predict the future in any situation. I'm sure like, I don't know, maybe if you had known that you were going to get divorced, would you have gotten married before? I, you know, I don't know, but I think everything happens for a reason. You have to go along the journey. You can't skip steps. Oh, and I, even then, by the way, I love the journey. I have three beautiful children. They have an amazing dad. So that was my journey then. You know, I needed that journey to get me to here he's the perfect father for my children and I wouldn't change a thing. But, you know, I, I now look at marriage in a very different way. I see different types of people who are like, should we stay all the way through with, within their marriage? Sometimes I never understand why, you know, just dating people say, how do I leave him? Like you leave him. You've got no kids. You've got nothing else. Get out. Kids, it's, it's harder. And other people sort of say, I'm staying. If I stay till the kids go to university, how does it work then if we agree to have an open marriage? And I'd be interested to hear your view on that because I, I just can't see how that works. Well, let me separate the open marriage conversation because I think that's a whole different um, podcast. That's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> but as far as I can address personally, Staying together for the kids doesn't do anybody any favors. My, my parents got divorced and they waited until my senior year of high school. I was 17. And I just think for both of them, they really delayed their happiness and their life. And I know they loved each other. And that's what kept them continuing to be in the conversation. But you're not doing your kids any favors by staying in a loveless marriage or a marriage that creates conflict. I know in the midst of the pandemic, a lot of people are locked down with their spouse and, and actually U.S. divorce rates, I just saw hit a 50 year low. But I think part of it, it's sort of the calm before the storm, because now we've been quarantined and locked up with people that we maybe don't want to be with anymore. Not, I'm not speaking from my own experience, but, but I think when things open up more across the globe, I think we will see an increase in breakups because the more time you spend 
with someone, the more you realize what you need to work on, what the flaws are in the relationship. And some of those things are insurmountable. As far as the open relationship, I think that's a very different conversation. And look, on Dates and Mates, I'm like, you design your life. This is your life. You only get to do it once. So if an open relationship is what would make you happiest and your partner happiest, you have to have communication and it has to be mutually decided between the two of you and you play through these scenarios of what would that look like? Then I say, go for it. For me, it would not work at all. And I know, I know that I would be like far too jealous. I would not, I couldn't even see how that could work in my life. But I think you have to remember that your time is your most valuable resource. So who you spend your time with, how you spend it is so important. And staying in a relationship for factors outside of your own happiness and well-being really aren't doing anyone any favors. Why do you think it, people find it so hard to end a relationship? And one of my biggest questions, and actually it's the same probably, is how do you end it? How, if you, marriage is harder, right? And I completely understand that, by the way, for everybody to, to walk into that room and break up a family and everything else is like one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life. But it is like ripping a Band-Aid off when you've made the decision. But I don't understand why people find it so hard to get out of just the wrong dating relationship. Why? What I always hear is this fear of being single again. It's almost like, I, I was going to make a sports reference, but I know nothing about sports. <laughs> I'm like, you're almost at the finish line. And then like somebody breezes past you or you fall down and you injure yourself. And you're like, you're like, oh, but I was so close. I don't want to go back to the starting line and have to do this race all over again. And that anxiety over the whole online dating, the getting to know someone again, figuring out the rules, that keeps a lot of people trying to make situations that aren't really right work out. And what I've seen time and time again is that it's so much easier if you, if you put a process around it, it's so much easier than you think it's going to be. And I, I just really see being single is so much easier now than it was even a couple generations ago. And we can get into this like, woe is me kind of mindset, especially right now. But if you can see the possibilities and be willing to move through them, you can find love again. It can happen very quickly. Like I've had, I'm thinking of a client I had right now. She got married. They were married six months. And she told me, I think I made a mistake. And I was like, oh, maybe it's just like first year jitters. I don't know. She ended up ending that relationship and then spent, I think the next like six or seven years on and off single. And she really wanted to have kids and she's feeling that pressure. She's approaching 40 and feeling that pressure and feeling that pressure. She ended up meeting this guy online. I helped her. I was like, let's do it one more time. Let's do your profile one more time. She ended up meeting this guy I think within four months, they had moved in together. Within six months, they were engaged. They were married by a one year of the from the time that they met. And then within two years, they, they had that baby that they wanted. And it's amazing how quickly it can happen if you are going into it with a lot of 
clarity and just openness to the the process. Which um, dating apps do you like? They're a minefield. There are so many of them. Do you have ones that you specifically use that you like? I should say I work with a lot of the, the dating apps. I work with the Match Group who owns pretty much every dating app except for Bumble. They own OkCupid, Plenty of Fish, Tinder. A lot of people don't realize that. And Hinge, they also own Hinge now. I heard, so I've heard more... a lot about Hinge. Why has this one suddenly become so popular? I don't know exactly why it's become so popular. Um, I I would say it's probably a reaction to the the swipe apps like the Tinders and Bumbles where there's very, very little information about the person before you swipe. Hinge really, they rebranded. I actually had the CEO on my podcast talking about why they rebranded as the relationship app, but they wanted to take people a level deeper. So it wasn't just like some pictures on the surface. It was answer these topical questions and create a more thorough profile, kind of a throwback to what had been online dating before, like in, in matches heyday. But with Hinge, you can't just swipe. You have to react to a particular statement or a particular picture. So it jumps you right into the conversation. And I think that's what people are responding to. We almost had an overcorrection the others became so much about sex, I thought. Well, it was sex and sur- it was surface. How do they look? It's Everything's about how you visually uh, look. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I get frustrated when I'm working with clients. Like I'll, I'll swipe for my VIP clients and I'll look at somebody's profile and I'm like, I literally know nothing about this person. Hang on a minute. I you have no idea. For the VIP clients. What does that mean? You, ch- you help them choose the match. Yeah. Oh my yeah, God. I love that. Okay. Oh, so that, that's amazing. Well, that's another thing that a lot of people get frustrated and overwhelmed by. You know, people like us in relationships, we're like, this is so much fun. And yeah. we can look at it objectively yeah. because it's not our life. I've never been on we're one. We're like, I know. oh, <laughs> I'll swipe for you. But if you're in the moment, if you're dealing with that and you're single and you've been swiping, 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 swiping for years, it feels exhausting. I try to take the elements that are frustrating about dating off of the plate for my clients to get them to the point of being able to meet up and have that magic unfold. Because really the dating app is just the tool. People like to blame dating apps and say, oh, dating apps are the reason that dating has fallen apart. They're the downfall of society. And I don't look at it that way at all. I think women especially are in a far better situation than they have ever been. They've had far more choice and opportunity in dating but you have to use the tool effectively. And it's just a way to connect you to someone. You have to move offline either to a phone call or a video chat date or a social distance date, whatever you're comfortable with. But you have to be moving forward to the real world because there are plenty of people who will waste plenty of your time online. Well, I have tons of girlfriends and they have this thing where they just, you know, they go, oh my God, I met this guy and I love him and we, we, we talk every night, but they haven't quite met yet. So they, they text every single night and they get really deep in inverted commas on text. And I'm like, you haven't even had a meal. The guy lives halfway across the world and you're in love. You know, these are intelligent older women too. I'm not talking about teenage girls, you know, and I'm like, how can you say you're in love with a man that all you do is text? No, we text all night long. I mean, that's the problem. That is the problem because also then when you do meet up for the first time, genuinely, it's normally, it's a disappointment, a complete disappointment. There's so many things wrong with that. How do you feel about that? 
Yeah, it's a disappointment because of expectation. You know, there's a, a quote I love that says, expectations are resentments waiting to happen. And every time you have a text session all night with this guy that you've never met, you are building on the expectation that he can never, never live up to because you, you, he's competing against fantasy him. And in text, everything is perfect. And he's thought of exactly how to say it. And he's witty and he's confident because he doesn't have the anxiety of having to actually say the words out of his mouth. And I just do not allow my clients to have these situationships unfold because that's how you end up in a catfish situation or that's how you end up getting your heart broken because you've built this idea of a person in your mind that may or may not actually exist. You're so right. And I'm literally in the middle probably of three or four beautiful girlfriends of mine doing exactly this, this building relationships via text. They think I'm mad, but I'm like, this is not reality. It's just, it's just, it can't be. I already foresee the disaster that's coming down the other end, unfortunately. And then they just, they end up wasting so much time and they'll even be out with a guy and they'll semi like him or meet could be on another date, still texting the other one and the other one's better, but they still, it's a false relationship. And then, you know, they can't really move on and meet anybody else because their head's elsewhere. That's exactly it. And we get really caught up in that fantasy, but I'm glad that you brought up that idea of being on one date and texting another. Because a lot of times people say to me, should I be on multiple apps at the same time? Should I be dating multiple people at the same time? And I'm not sure where you are, what the dating code is. I can say for most of my clients, which are most of them are in North America, some in the UK, but generally now the understanding is that you are dating around until you're exclusive. So when you are dating multiple people though, you, you have to always be moving it forward, always move it forward towards clarity. And if you don't have clarity on someone, I, I give it three dates. I, I put these rules in place not to make people feel like stuck into a particular method of dating, but I give you parameters because you could stay in that situationship. You could keep having drinks with somebody that you don't necessarily see a future with. But I find that if it hasn't accelerated after the third date, that that's probably not your dream match. This is from meeting someone online. And similarly, if you are talking to someone, I give them one week online before they move to the next step. One week. What is the next step? That is actually a question. So someone's asking, how many dates should you give someone before you move on? Or do you give him a chance? Well, I, you know, like, surely it's a thing you're going to know straight away if you like someone or not, don't you? Or not? I find that sometimes it's a little bit of a slow burn. Like I wasn't sure about my husband until, until probably the third date. I mean, I kissed him on the first date, but I didn't, I didn't know that. Oh, you did kiss him on the first date. I did. I did. Kissing is okay. But I, you know, I wasn't like, do you want to go back to my place? I wanted to keep a little bit of mystery. Right. (laughs) So I would say you should lead with curiosity. You have to be curious enough about that person to want to spend one more date with them. But if you get to the third date and you're like, I can't see myself kissing this person. I'm not really that curious about their life. 
it's probably not a love match. I've had clients that meet business contacts, that, you know, have, have found great friendships from people that they've met online. So you don't always get a romantic partner out of it. But sometimes if you stay open, you might get something else. I mean, that's what I find like these questions. I find the mentality a bit weird because I, in my head, I'm like, why would you give someone, you know, that you don't like after three dates a chance? What's the point of that? You know, if you don't like him now, you're definitely not going to like him in 18 years. You know, when you know, you know, if you, if you, if you don't want to, go further and you don't want him to come home after three dates. And even if, whether you let him home or not, but if you haven't thought about it, it's generally not the right guy, isn't it? Yes. I agree with you. Yes. And that's why I give it the three dates because sometimes we're also too much in our head, those three dates. Sometimes we're dating someone else, like you said, and we are kind of in this comparing, contrasting situation. But I try to have my clients give it at least three dates if there's some curiosity there. But I'll give your listeners one really big game-changing tip oh, really? that I have my clients follow. Keep that first date short and sweet. I like to have my clients just spend an hour if they're coming from online. The rules are a little fuzzy in the era of COVID. So for some people, that first date is a video chat date, which I think it's harder to sustain the um, energy for even an hour on video chat. But particularly if you're meeting in person, you want the energy to end at the peak. Because if you stay too long, you're going to run out of things to talk about on the first date. It's going to feel like you end it at a lull. And that's what they'll remember. Well, I had a good time, but then it felt like we kind of ran out of things to talk about. And so many people think, oh, I had a great date. Like we spent six hours together and that was our first date. I'm like, what is there left to discover about this person if you overstayed your welcome like that on the first date? Let it unfold in little increments over time. Yeah, I think people people get scared to let go. And if they're having a good time, they don't want to lose it. It's our own insecurities. You know, like, I like this guy. I don't want him to, I don't want him out of my sight. I need to see him every day. It's good to have your own shit going on because you're busy. So you're not thinking about the guy all day. Even if I was thinking about him, I've got three kids to feed. So like, I don't, I can't go spend all day with him. And I think that's key of busying yourself. There's, there's another type of woman too, which I've, I've understood. And I have a few girlfriends like this who are my age, They've been dating, dating, dating their whole lives. They, they're serial daters. They've never, ever been married, don't have kids, never settled down because they've always been looking for someone better. They've always been looking for more. He didn't have enough money. He, he didn't laugh right. His clothes weren't quite right. Then I have the ones that, you know, that type of girl that's still single, that, you know, is kind of on the verge of sort of at 40 something, go, nearing impossible at this point because they've become so impossible themselves. But then you have the other type of woman who's like, well, I've tried dating all these types of guy. I'm going to push myself to look in a different bracket of guy, right? And a different type. And he's not really the way I, I don't like the way he looks, but everything else on paper is perfect, you know? So maybe I can make myself fall in love with him. What's your view on that? I have to take it away from the physical, but I think it is important to sort of challenge the choices you've made and see if they're really right for you. So actually, before I met my husband, I did a dating plan for myself to change the kind of guy that I was attracted to. Because um, when I got on the dating apps, it was because my boss at the time, she was like, Damona, I do not like these guys that you're dating. They're all these like, you know, actor, writer, musician types that are like, not that focused, not that relationship minded. I'm tired of seeing you 
come in here in the office with your eyes bloodshot from crying all night. You need to get online and date a different kind of guy. And so I really did some deep work to figure out what have I been attracting? What have I been choosing? If you're not changing it, you're choosing it. So I have been continually choosing the wrong kind of guys. And I said, I'm going to do a dating plan for myself called Operation Date Nice Guys. (laughs) And what that meant to me was there was like an automatic thing where I would see a nice guy. This actually happened when I first saw my husband's profile. I was really attracted to his look, but then I like read the profile and I was like, okay, he seemed to have a little edge to him. So I said yes to a date right away. And then he shows up on the date and he's wearing like, you know, the button down shirt or like a vest and wool pants. And he just looked so nice and predictable. And literally the first thought in my head was, he seems so nice. I need to set him up with somebody else. Like I couldn't date him, but he seems really nice. And he's so cute because I was doing this plan. I snapped myself out of it. And I was like, no, you're doing operation date. Nice guys. This is the kind of guy that you need to give a chance to. And it really unfolded completely differently than any relationship that I had before, which was driven by by lust, by the initial attraction, by all of these things. Like people say, oh, I need to feel chemistry on the first date or it's not, it's not a match. And I, I feel like, well, if what you initially have been attracted to in the past has gotten you here, how well is it working for you? It might be time to rewrite your dating plan. I completely agree. I'm, I'm fascinated because these women have, they're beautiful, they're articulate, they're you know, they're strong women. They're obviously doing it on their own now. They don't particularly want to be doing it on their own and they, you know, but they're doing it. But now, and I can't see why they're single. And then, you know, I feel in some ways you feel guilty for coming out of an 18 year marriage and going straight into another relationship that is, is really serving me well right now. You know, like, as I said, he's like a super kind man. He's fit in with my kids. You know how hard all of these things had to work out for him to have moved all the way from LA to fit in with my family, to make the transition as easy as it is. You know, sometimes I look at my girlfriends and I feel guilty that that happened for me. And I think, well, but why? There's nothing between, there's nothing different between me and them. No, you shouldn't feel guilty. Obviously you're living your life by your own rules. And I think it's also a reminder that sometimes things just don't happen on the timeline that we expect. Like maybe it's faster than you expected. And for other people, finding their matches is slower, but it's not something to internalize further meaning into. But what I would say to those women, because a lot of times people will come to me and say, I'm in my 40s, 50s, 60s. Men my age always want to date someone younger. They'll have this limiting belief that is blocking them from being able to find love. And I I really like to deconstruct that and say, well, what if that's not true? Because I have helped women all the way up to 70 find great matches with men their own age, sometimes even a little younger, I'll be honest with you. But the big difference, it's, it's not about attraction because studies have shown that men, if they find you attractive, they will respond to your profile. They will go out with you. They will approach you regardless of what, what age is on that paper or on that screen. They all go on the dates. They get the dates. They get a lot of dates. Is that the problem? Do you think men don't commit to a woman that's never had a commitment? 
No, I think some people have certain ideas about that. But what I would say is the thing that men are attracted to over youth is flexibility. And I feel like that might be something that you've offered Sergio as well. Like you offer him the opportunity to experience new things. You're flexible. You don't have the rules written for yourself. You're writing them as you go along. And sometimes when women get to 40, 50, and they've been single that whole time, they have written the rules of their life and they start looking for someone to fit in, right? As opposed to being willing to co-create. And that's what I feel like a lot of men will reject if they don't see a place for themselves in your life or they feel like they have to just play by your rules and, and you aren't willing to compromise things to also fit into their lives, that's what they tend to um, run away from. I was going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're right in one way. I mean, if you're a mother, your whole life is about flexibility. Nothing goes to plan. There is no way to plan three months ahead, six months like this, you know, like every day is different. So you are so used to pivoting daily and you're, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying, because you're right. A single woman living on her own likes her plan, likes to stick to her routine, needs to know what's going to happen. And, and they like their home a certain way, but that's also single men, by the way, you know, older single men. Like, you know, I always look at some of my girlfriends have ended up with very successful businessmen and you walk into these beautiful, I've, I sort of like it to sort of like um, American Psycho or something, you know, the beautiful sort of New York apartment and you're expected to just move in and sort of put your one hanger up and, and live their life, right? How do you date that? I would say I hear more concerns from women about dating a man who's over 40 or over 50 and, and never married or in a serious relationship than I do in the inverse. You know, I feel like we're always looking for meaning, right? We're always looking to associate like, oh, he's single because, you know, insert whatever our belief system is, right? You know, in those situations, I think you have to be yourself. I think this is the, this is a core takeaway. I think if, if anything from this conversation, my coaching strategy is all about authenticity. Like, I don't want you to put up just a glossy, pretty picture to attract the most, you know, Adonis chiseled man that you possibly could. I want you to put up an authentic picture that really shares your personality, that that shares what you like to do, the world that you're in, and really shows someone the whole breadth of what they get from being in a relationship with you. And I think we need to really release this idea. There's a certain code of conduct and that there's a certain style of woman that is most attractive. I think we need to really release some of those old ideas. And I think it worked in your grandmother's time and in my grandmother's time. But in today's world, it's so much about your authenticity, your individuality. And in most dating markets, I'm speaking, speaking kind of broadly because this isn't necessarily true all over the world, but for most of my clients, the more that they, they show themselves instead of trying to fit into this ideal of what is deemed attractive, the more that they're a little bit messy, a little bit quirky, a little bit nerdy, 
and let that be okay, the better the matches that they make. And the more that their partner is really able to see them and allow them to be themselves. I completely agree because I think, you know, when we're younger, in our 20s, we have an idealism of what a, a wife should be and what we what we turn ourselves into. And I certainly am guilty of that. Obviously, that, that mask falls off eventually because you can't be a Stepford wife for the rest of your life. The real you has to come out. So I would always say to be fair to yourself and to be real to yourself, to get the right person, be yourself day one, show exactly who you are and, and be proud that there is somebody for everybody. And it's just a matter of time to find him and your tools give people that opportunity and understand that, you know, I love that you say, because I did one, I did a podcast about single and not swiping because I'm, I, I wasn't a huge fan of these um, apps and I got corrected by a lot of people said that they met their husbands on them too. And I do think you're right. They actually bring people together as well and used in the right way. They're a great tool to meet people as well. You know, the old fashioned ways, do you rate that over going to a bar? I mean, I know it's COVID, so it's a hard thing to do, but like pretend COVID isn't here. Do you think that's the way to go these days rather than bars and yeah, I give my clients an a la carte menu of ways that they can meet a match, but I'll be honest with you. Dating apps are the most powerful tool in your dating toolbox. I would say for, for my clients that has driven probably 85, 90% of their dates over the last 15 years that I've been doing this and even more so now. So, you know, a lot of people, they have this romantic fantasy. I don't want my story to be that we met online is what they'll tell me. They want me to prescribe other options and I can give you other options, but what I'll tell you is that they generally take longer. They generally require more effort. And especially for business women, for career women who, who are really busy, for single moms, anyone who really values their time, which I'm sure all of your listeners do, it's just the most efficient way. So when people come to me and they're like, I don't want to do dating apps. I'm like, okay, well, you just shut the door on 80 percent, 85% of your opportunity. And what do you feel about like people that start off with, you know, race, religion, things like this as well? Because I always say, God, you know, when you, you're narrowing it down, so it's hard enough as it is, you know, like I have friends that go, you know, my parents won't let me meet anyone. I have to meet a, a nice Catholic girl, a nice Jewish girl, whatever it is at the time that gives a whole nother layer. It's so hard to find the right person anyway. I mean, you know, it's providing a whole nother level again. Yes, it, it does. It adds another filter, right? That limits your pool. So we do, we do dating pool math in my program and I'm like, okay, so your ideal guy, if he is, you know, six foot one and he's Jewish and he makes, you know, this much per year and he lives in your neighborhood, basically, there's two guys I'm looking for. And one of them's married already, you know? So then we just, we just look at what would you be willing to open up? I'm not saying compromise, but you know, what would you be open to reconsidering? And it's funny that you brought, brought up race because I, I actually wrote a piece for the Washington Post on this. Basically the idea that you know, a lot of people are saying they support Black Lives Matter, they're open on race. But then when you look at their actual behaviors in dating, they exclude people who are Black or another race from them. And so what I do in my program, and I, I found surprisingly, 
that a lot of other dating coaches or matchmakers don't examine this. I really have them drill into what does that mean to them and why. I, I give them the this business technique that's called the five whys. Why do you have that belief that the person could not be black? Why is it so important that your parents are approving of the person's race? And we really get down to the core of, are you making decisions for yourself, for what is ultimately in your best interest? Or are you, are you living for your parents? Well, I think it's interracial relationships for old school parents in general, not just black, any any race, really. When you come from a sort of old established families and these kind of families, it's just not as understood. Whereas I think it is much more today. But you're right. You know, you're living for society. You're living for whatever people told you. I'm the product of an interracial relationship and interracial dating is significantly on the rise. And... I actually see it as correlated with the rise in online dating because kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, people will swipe on you if they feel an attraction. So on paper, I might say, oh, I would not date someone who is not my religion. But then if I feel an attraction, I might swipe right. So I think it's actually really correlated, particularly with swipe apps. But it it is challenging. So if you could give the listeners today three sort of like dating hacks or tips, what would they be? If they've been single a long time, what would you say to sort of start their new life tomorrow? You have to be willing to be online. Even if it hasn't worked for you, be open to trying it again. Maybe you could try it on a different app. Some people are uh, scared of being online, you know, like I would be nervous to put my photo up and, you know, what if people saw it? My friends, you know what I mean? Like, I think it has that kind of connotation still that you get scared. Like I've never done it. Like you have to have balls. You have to just release the ideas that you might have about it and look at, look at the facts. 40% of people are meeting their matches on dating apps today. And that's more than any other method. So get out of the fantasy. If you really want to change your life, I have several celebrity clients that I have on dating apps. What I say is basically that's all tied also to single shame. Like, oh, I don't want people to see me here because then they'll know that I'm looking. So one is release your single shame. If you have any of it, if you're holding on to this idea that it's, it's, there's something wrong with you because you are single, but most of the apps that the apps that I put them on, it's mutual match. So nobody can message you unless you have matched with them and said yes to them as well. You have that safety net. And I feel like it's in some ways safer than meeting someone out in the wild, because at least you have the app has their information, has their IP address, can track them down. You can block them. It's to me, I try to keep as much of the content of the communication on the app as possible before moving into the real world, because all of that is tracked and they take safety very, very seriously. But there's, if you're really nervous about who you're going to see, Raya is a celebrity dating app. And so pretty much everyone there is either like a celebrity, an Instagrammer, somebody that's got something going on. And anyone that sees you there is there as well. So, or they're a dating coach like me. (laughs) (laughs) So don't, so release the single shame. And then when you get online, I recommend my clients use the three C's, color, context, and character when they're developing their profile. So color is to stand out as your swipe, swipe, swiping through the lineup, color really pops. So if you use a bright color on your profile photo, like red specifically, I really love red backgrounds or red tops that can draw the eye in. 
context, telling your life story through your photos. We said earlier, people aren't reading so much. If they can see it visually, it can tell the story. Well, just and quickly, then, what happens uh, if you're a single mother with kids? Would you put that on your program? No, you, no. No, kid. <laughs> no kid, definitely not. Okay, definitely. It's a curated, it's like, think of yourself as a museum curator. Yeah. Like you don't have all of the paintings out. You just have the curated gallery of your life. So context is the second one and character is your personality. Like we were talking about showing that authentic side of you, even if it's like kind of quirky or, or really bold, being able to show that visually through your photos. And that's the one that most people forget. So the three C's, color, context, character. Now you are online and then you have to move things forward as quickly as possible. There are so many options out there. There are people swipe, swipe, swiping. So you need to see if somebody is the real deal before you invest too much time. So move things offline within a week. Now I'm giving like way more than three. Move things offline within a week. Do a phone call, video chat, or social distance date, depending on your level of comfortability with COVID and your safety plan. And then do not overstay your welcome. And, and, and you're quickly, your feelings on discussing past relationships. And do you discuss your children on a date? That's a really good question. Um, I would not discuss past relationships. And I, I like to give my clients like coy responses because nobody really wants to discuss your past relationship. They're just trying to like suss out <laughs> any red flags. So ultimately they would much rather talk about themselves. <laughs> so I just turn it around if they say like, why did your last relationship break up? I would say, why would I talk about my breakup when I'm here with a handsome man like you? Oh, that's, and that's good. it. He doesn't want to talk about your breakup after that. You just complimented him and turned it back to him. As far as kids, I think, look, it's your dating life. So there's certainly a part, and I'm a mom too. There's certainly a part of your world, but I don't know if on the first date, I would spend too much time talking about it. You certainly want to mention like that you have kids, but I would focus more on the other stuff that you have going on and the, the other things you enjoy and the way that you look at the world and your values and those sort of things that ultimately are going to build the relationship between two people because the relationship with your kids, that's something that unfolds later once you've gotten to know them. Amazing. Thank you so much, Damona. I could talk to you for hours. This is fascinating. Same, um, same. Love it. Thank you very much. And it's so kind of you to join us today. And um, I hope everyone loved it because uh, this is one of the hottest topics we've had. So thank you again and take care. Thank you for listening to Divorce Not Dead. Tune in next Wednesday for a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Follow me on social media at, at Caroline Stanbury for all the behind the scene action. 